Hi, I'm Ryan Meeks, and after years of trying to make life work as a struggling artist, independent filmmaker, and musician, I thought to myself, hey, self, wouldn't it be helpful to ask other artists how they're finding their path in this world? And so now, that's exactly what I'm doing on a bi-weekly basis. Welcome to the Path of Art. Okay, today on the Path of Art, we have Kurt Bester. He's a composer based in Utah who has more than 40 film scores and more than 40 themes for national TV programs and commercials under his belt. He's also been given uh, the Outstanding Film Score Award at the New York Film and Television Festival for his music for PBS, uh, More Perfect Union. And uh, he's gotten Emmys and uh, done stuff with Jenny Oaks Baker. And you may also know him for a number that's pretty well known, The Prayer of the Children. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Kurt. It's great to be here. Thank you for that introduction. It's always kind of fun to hear your introduction because I don't think about the stuff that I've, I don't, all the years I've been doing this, I don't quite keep track of what I've been doing. It's like, mm. wow, I, I, I totally forgot about that, uh, that New York Film Festival Award. Mm. And yet it was kind of exciting what happened. But thank you. No, nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And so let's, let's jump into it. We like to get started with kind of, you know, who you are now, what are you doing now? And then later we dive into how, how did you get there? Right. And so I wanted to ask you what compositions, um, have the, what compositions or arrangements that you've done? Do you, do you feel you're most known for? Well, you kind of brought it up in the introduction. Uh, the, the song prayer of the children, an original composition for voice only has, has, despite me, kind of become a thing. I'm not known as a vocalist. I'm known more as a composer and an arranger. But that particular song I sang uh, with a vocal machine. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's kind of weird how it came about. So if if, you, if your listeners haven't heard this uh, particular uh composition, it's about children and children of war. So um, I was... Um, this was way back, about 25 years ago or so. I was watching on TV the war in Yugoslavia, and I had lived there. I'd lived in Yugoslavia and Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia, and now the war was – they were fighting each other. And it was really hard for me to handle that. I, I didn't know. I, I don't want to choose a side. Who do I want to win? Because I loved all these people. And so I kind of thought, well, I – you know, children, they're kind of the victims. They don't didn't ask for war, but we mm-hmm. – and, and yet they typically get hurt, either lose a parent or even lose their life or limbs or whatever. So I, I started writing a song, and I had this piece of gear, this uh, keyboard that makes my vo- turns my voice into parts. It's called a vocorder, a vocalist. And you sing into it, and then you play notes on a keyboard. And whatever notes you play on the keyboard splits your voice into parts, so you kind of sound like an instant choir. Right. And I was just kind of messing around with it, and I had this little melody line that I came up with, um, da, da, kind of a little Celtic-y thing. Mm-hmm. And then as I was listening uh, on, uh, on my ear here, I was listening to the – to the news, I could. I was. I was thinking about the kids in Yugoslavia. So I kind of. Can you hear? I, and then I, can you feel? I started dealing with the lyrics that way. And and pretty soon I had this song written that was kind of haunting and mm-hmm. I, to me anyway. I put it away. Didn't do anything with it for two years. And ended up uh, pulling it out at a concert, a private concert I was doing, where I had all these other kind of songs. And then I just thought I'm going to sing this song. And so I did. And it had a pretty a shocking reaction. The audience was kind of like, hush, I didn't know what to, how to deal with it because it was a pretty haunting kind of song. Mm-hmm. I sang it with my machine, which is kind of weird, made you sound like a Gregorian chant. And anyway, from that moment until now, the song has become 
its own thing. It gets sung by, oh man, tons of people recently sung at the uh, 9-11 commemoration by the Harlem Boys Choir. It gets sung every year at the Columbine um, commemoration. Mm-hmm. It, it gets sung by a group called Three Dog Night, which some of your older listeners might be familiar with. They're a rock group. They play They play rock and roll, but then they put their guitars down and they sing a version of the song. So... To answer your question, because of the notoriety, because of the effect that song has, and the meaning that that it still portrays, even mm-hmm. though the war in Yugoslavia is over, now people sing it for the war in Ukraine, or they sing it mm-hmm. for kids who are are dealing with suicide. The, the, the lyrics kind of work for that. So there you go. And I remember, uh, at least like when I was a teenager, I, I would hear it a lot during Christmas, like around Christmas time. Was that because I know that you arrange a lot of Christmas arrangements. Is that because of that? Or do you think it was just kind of more uh, people trying to focus on people that really need help during Christmas? I can't really say what people's motivation is to listen to it at that time. It isn't a Christmas song, but it does have the word Jesus in it. Um, (laughs) But but I think, you know, I think it's one of those things where at Christmas time, people want to feel peace. They want to feel those nice, warm Christmas feelings. And and, and so maybe that's why. it's a bit like the the Messiah. People, mm-hmm. it's not a Christmas production, the oratorio, mm-hmm. but people at Christmas time listen to it, and then right. it feels like a Christmas song. So uh, I don't think it's incongruous to listen to Prayer of the Children during Christmas. But you know, what, whenever people want to listen, I'll I'll be glad. <laughs> as long as they're listening, right? That's right. <laughs> so, uh, what compositions or arrangements do you feel uh, most proud of, or? Or that you you just have more of an affinity toward those uh, compositions or arrangements. You know, it's it's a difficult question to sum it down to just a, a few. So I'll just throw out some, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'll throw out a couple, but they're not necessary. Then I'm going to get later. I'm going to go. Oh wait, I forgot about that. <laughs> because I write so much. I mean, I'm writing constantly for different people and my myself. I, I tend to like the ones that where I'm not having to write for somebody else, where I'm not a gun for hire. Mm-hmm. I, I did, for example, a an original ballet. Um, ba- the music was original, based on the Secret Garden, and it's a it's a full length ballet. It's very hard for people to. Um, to produce it because it takes a lot of money to produce a ballet. So mm-hmm. it only gets performed rarely. But if, but I've conducted it a few times with the ballet group and it it always I always think, you know what, that's that's me. That that mm-hmm. really feels like me. Historically, there was another um, time I, I had a chance to do music for the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. I was asked to compose a 10-minute piece of music, which is not easy to do, a march as right. the athletes came back into the stadium for the closing ceremonies. So, you know, you, you've seen the Olympics. You've seen mm-hmm. that moment. So I wrote that music, and I wanted to portray – as many cultures in the musical sound and in the palette that I chose, you know, from Asian to African to Western and all, everything I could think of. So as you listen to this song, and I was able to conduct it, that was kind of the part that makes it memorable. So it was freezing cold. It was February 5th, I think. It was so cold that I felt really bad for the brass players because they, it, it, oh, yeah. they would, their, their mouthpiece would stick to their lips. Right. And they had to keep wetting their, their lips with warm water to make that not happen. It was so cold. But 
I didn't notice it when I started conducting the piece. I was conducting with my right hand. The orchestra is in front of me, and the musicians were in behind me. So I kept kind of turning around and looking at them. And then I also had uh, a camera uh, that I was holding. So I was conducting, and I was taking pictures, which is a little cheesy. (laughs) But then I noticed that Moby, who was also performing, he was doing the same thing. So I guess if if he can do it, I could do it. But those were a couple of meaningful things. I've, because I've, I've written music in so many different styles, mm-hmm. it, sometimes it's easier to talk about styles. I'm currently writing an original piece of music based on a children's story that I've written. And oh. it's called Harmon E and the Missing Key. It's about a little hmm. boy who lives in a town that has no music. Oh. And he, he discovers this cave full of things. He doesn't know what they are. It turns out they're instruments. And so he has to go take, find the people that play these instruments so he can bring music back to the town. So it's a bit like um, Peter and the Wolf. Like it's, 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 it's a, hopefully for all ages. And now I'm writing the music that goes along with the narration. So mm-hmm. that's something that um, I'm, I'm, I'm not proud of it yet because I haven't finished it. But when I get done, I think that's something that's going to be meaningful. And it seems like you're excited about what it's going to be. Yeah, I know. I've, I've been working on it for a while. And that's the problem with being a musician these days is that your art also has to be the way you pay the bills. <laughs> I mean, at least for me. Right. And so it's like, oh, I want to do that that original song, but nah, I got to write some music for Jenny or I've got to write some music for Andrea Bocelli or who I happen to be working with mm-hmm. at the time. It's like, oh, I'll never get to my piece. Right. Finding, finding the, the perfect storm is when someone says, hey, can you write an original piece? And I say, yes. And then they bring up the money and I've got the time and then mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about paying the bills. It doesn't happen very often. Right. I've, I've actually talked about that before where in the arts... And you, you, when you start doing like commissions and stuff, it just feels like you're, you're, you're not being an artist, right? You're just doing, you're being someone else's hand for their right. art, right? It can lead to that. I have to say though, if you're really conscientious, um, I try everything that I do, no matter whether it's an arrangement for a singer or a violinist or an orchestra or what it is, I always try to just be artistic. Mm-hmm. And the way that I view art anyway is is a little different than some. Uh, people tend to kind of take all the aspects of art and put it in one box. Mm-hmm. I take the craft out and I call it the craft of what I do is knowing the orchestration, knowing the instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got people out there who are cinematographers, their craft is knowing how to use their gear, knowing how to edit if they're an editor. The art... And there's art involved in all aspects of this. Right. But if you – for me, my art is kind of in my head and in my heart. And I have to make sure that my craft is high enough up that I've got the highest craft I can, that I'm a really good at piano. I'm really good at hearing things. I, I have a good knowledge of lots of different musical styles. So when I get this idea, my craft doesn't get in the way of my art. Oh. Um, and I, I think a lot of people – that are who are in music, they go, oh, I hear this song in my head, and I, I, but I can't get it down. I can't mm-hmm. play it. I can't tell it. So I have to get somebody else to figure it out. And they get really frustrated, but that's because they haven't spent the time to get their craft honed. And mm-hmm. and I mean I'm I've been doing this for four decades and I'm still honing my craft. I'm still mm-hmm. listening to music every day. I, I listen to music for about an hour. And sometimes that can influence the art as well as sure. you're learning your craft and you learn something more yeah. about how, how it works. It kinda it yeah. kinda brings ideas. Sometimes. Most people most people are afraid of, of like copying somebody else. They're like, Oh, mm-hmm. I gotta be original. 
And and I think that's great. We should all be original. But we are all influenced by people. And right. when you're first starting out in your art, you you listen to somebody uh, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, in the case of a cinematographer or photographer, you look at other people's works and you say, right. oh, I like that. How they did that pan, how they use that filter, how they, mm-hmm. and then in my case, oh, I love how that chord, I like how John Williams combined those woodwinds. Mm-hmm. And when I first started writing, I got really close to like lawsuits practically just because I was really influenced by other composers and not on purpose, but just because I didn't, I wasn't pretty young. Well, and you need a foundation of something to start on, right? And what you listen to is that foundation. What happens, Ryan, what eventually happens if you, if you have some mentors and some people Mm -hmm. that you think you want to be like, and you, and you write like them, Mm -hmm. um, or maybe even you write a piece of music down that sounds like them. Um, eventually you're going to replace their in their your their influence will be there, but your style will emerge. And now people people tell me, Oh yeah, I was told by a client, write some music with that Kurt Besser sound. And so now, you know, I have a sound and, and people know it. I when think they hear you it. do. Like yeah. when I hear stuff and I'm like, I think this is Kurt I Besser. There, there's something about it. And I'm not embarrassed by that. I know some composers, a friend of mine, well, Sam Carden, a good friend of mine, he, he oftentimes says, oh, I don't want people to recognize me. I don't want to have a definitive style because I'll get pigeonholed. But you can't. You know, you can't do that. I mean, did Picasso get pigeonholed? Did John Williams get pigeonholed? Does Steven Spielberg get pigeonholed? I mean, when you get your style that recognizable, just treat it like a like a strength and know that you can't write everything and you can't do everything. You can't please everybody or you'll end up being milk toast in all the different areas. Right. And I would say even figuring out your style is what's right. going to help you get an audience. Absolutely. And that happens that doesn't happen in, intellectually for me figuring out your style just kind of happens it's like you just you just write mm-hmm. and, and next thing you know you're you have a tendency to write with certain instrumentations and sounds and approaches my trick now is to still have some freshness so that mm-hmm. i don't just copy myself cuz i cuz right. i could do that mm-hmm. But that's not satisfying to me. That doesn't make my career last longer um, because people go, yeah, Bester was great, but it's getting kind of tired now. And I don't want that. Right. So how do you go about, like, what is your process for arranging and composing music? Well, the process for arranging and composing kind of depends on the project. If I'm arranging a song, um, obviously I'm t- – and what that means for people who aren't familiar with the term arranging. <laughs> arranging is is kind of like composition with a head start. You're taking a right. song and you're redoing it. It's like a cover in the pop mm-hmm. world. I'm doing right. a cover. I just happen to do it more in a, in a crossover classical world. So what that means is I listen to the melody. I listen to the harmony the way it is done. And then I kind of just go, hmm, I wonder what this would sound minor instead of major. What if I, instead of using a piano, what if I did classical guitar? What if I, you know, so then I try all kinds of real clever little things to kind of twist your brain as you listen. And I've kind of made a living at this in my Christmas world by doing all these Christmas concerts mm-hmm. where I've taken Christmas songs like Silent Night. I've probably arranged that song six or seven times different ways so anyway the mo the the process in arranging is that i i listen to my client because normally i'm arranging for somebody what do you want what are you looking for oh well, i'm i'm looking for something that's kind of like this big i want to sound like hans zimmer or i want to and then i kind of go that direction if i'm composing something oftentimes it's for a movie or it's for a, a dance or a ballet it's for something existing 
I'll watch the movie tons of times. And oftentimes, movie the guys that are doing movies, are they use a temp track. So they lay down music from something else. Of course, they can't use it in the final thing. So they kind of say to me, maybe you could sound somewhat similar to this. It's it's not my favorite thing because I'd rather just watch a movie and just just be inspired to write whatever. But these days you kind of have to do that. Um, so it kind of depends. My process is, is then is to sit down at a computer with about three screens. On one screen, I have all the instruments you could ever imagine in kind of a what we call a digital audio workstation or a DAW. And that allows me to kind of listen to different things and mock things up. I'm, I'm using a keyboard, a uh piano keyboard as well as a computer keyboard mm-hmm. and i'd go let's see i'm writing for a harp so let me bring up a harp and so i'm playing like a piano but it sounds like a harp or, I'm, mm-hmm. or it sounds like strings i used to when i first started i just kind of did it in my head because we didn't have the computer world like we do now for music and then i just take a pencil and write on paper but since we have all these new tools um i use them and uh then i've got on another screen i have a, a an engraving program. The your musicians who might be listening, um, Finale is what I use, and I use those together. So as mm-hmm. I'm as I'm working with my digital audio workstation over here, I'm also in putting the music down over here with my fancy computer pencil, and then it just goes. So um, I'm sure I can get into the weeds on this, but we're you know <laughs> we're talking about art in general, not necessarily just right. composing. So do you uh, spend a certain time of year that you're composing and then move on to recording or does it mix together or how does that, it's, how does it's, that work out? I'm, I'm composing and arranging and recording and performing all year round 365. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's people, because I do these Christmas shows, people kind of think, oh, well, you because they only see me maybe during that time. Yeah, you do those Christmas shows and then you must just like go to Cancun the rest of the year and just, <laughs> you know, and now that's totally not true. I actually have to work really, really hard. And that's the hard part about the business of what of using your art and that's why people talk try to talk you out of it your parents oh well Mm -hmm. i'm sure you want to go into painting but maybe you ought to have something to fall back on fall back on which i hate that oh my gosh i've heard that so many times i know but you know what if you don't and here's here's my little my little musical gospel message if you um if you really want to do something, you got to be passionate. And and you could be a lawyer and be passionate. You could be a doctor, accountant, maybe. But, uh, you know, in terms of if you're passionate about music or passionate about art, go with it. I mean, go with it. Uh, otherwise, you're you're not going to compete. I mean, if you got I have friends who they ended up being a, one guy ended up being an orthopedic surgeon so that he could have something to fall back on. Well, now he doesn't have any time to do music. He's too mm-hmm. tired. He, he he and he and he's lost. He doesn't. He hasn't been honing his craft. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm not you know naive enough to think that everybody can do it. It's hard, and I mm-hmm. I get jealous of of my friends who have pension plans and health care and all that. Since mm-hmm. I I have those things, but I have to you know I have to do it myself, and it's more expensive, and it's hard. And and I'm working six seven days a week sometimes, uh, long hours, whereas my friends are retiring. And I, I, I don't think I'll ever retire because why? What do I retire to? I, I love what I do. <laughs> yeah, most people retire to do something that they actually wanted yeah. to do, right? And you're, and you're doing what you I'm doing. Do. What I love, and and so I guess the end of that that comment is basically be passionate about what you're doing, and don't you know? Don't be afraid. Take a chance. Fear will breed mm-hmm. um, creativity. 
and many times. And that's a, you know, that's a, I just kind of raised a question perhaps. It's like, how does fear aid creativity? What, what I'd recommend to anybody is accept a gig, whether it's painting or, or whatever your creative thing is, whatever your art is. Um, somebody says, hey, can you paint a commission? And you, in your mind, you go, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to it. So, so don't say yes. But be brave and say, yeah, sure, I can do that. Hey, do you want to do a movie? Uh, I got some money. And you're thinking, oh, I'm not ready yet. I don't, I don't know how to do that. But if you're afraid, but you say yes, you'll have your fetal position moments, but <laughs> but then you're going to step up and you're going to learn how to do it. You're right. going to say, wow, I've never got been in front of Final Cut Pro or whatever. So I got to learn it. And that fear to get something done will make you do it. And then you're like, man, I just... I, 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 then you get confidence and I still get afraid of stuff. There's still stuff mm-hmm. that people ask me. It's like, Oh my gosh. When, when Andrea Bocelli asked me to, to do an arrangement for him, I mean, I, I knew I could do it, but it's like, he's kind of a big deal. And I thought I got to really impress the socks off of him. And I was afraid, but I was confident enough to know that I, so I worked really hard and it paid off, you know, and he was really happy. And so there you go. Well, that's amazing. Some great advice from Kurt Bester here. We're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we're just going to go into how he got to where he is and what, what it takes to get there. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Path of Art. We're here with Kurt Bester, and we just had a wonderful first half with just just all the advice that you've given is just so good. I think it's going to be so helpful for everybody. Well, I want to ask where you got started, like, interested in music. I, I know that um, you, you came from Wisconsin, you grew yeah. up there, and uh, you played the bugle at some point. Well, is, is that what it's called? Is the bugle? Uh, well, I play the flugel. Flugel. <laughs> but I, but I, play, I can play bugle. Wait, bugles are, are snacks, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the bugles are what wake you up when you're in the army. Oh, gotcha. Um, flugelhorn is, an, is a cousin of the trumpet. and But that, that actually gets to how I started. My grandpa okay. played trumpet with Tommy Dorsey. Tommy Dorsey was a big band leader in the 40s and 50s. Well, 30s, 40s, 50s. My grandpa played trumpet with him. And so, Jeanette, and then he taught my dad to play trumpet. My dad taught me. Um, on that side of the family, the Bester side, there's just a lot of, um, there's a lot of genetic musical material. Mm-hmm. My, uh, I don't know how, what he is to me. My second uncle, I think, something like that, Don Bester, he wrote the J-E-L-L-O spot that some of your listeners might remember. J-E-L-L-O, oh. an old Jello commercial that was wow. huge for years. And then he also wrote... Um, Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Um, that, 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 and he was wow. the, he was a ba- big band leader for. Um, oh, now, now he missed his Jack Benny. He was Jack Benny's uh, orchestra leader. So on that side of the family, I have a lot of genetic uh, musical material. On the other side of the family, they're not slouches either. Um, they come from Switzerland, my mom's side of the family. Um, my grandpa and grandma had a yodeling club in Wisconsin. So oh. um, I don't yodel. Don't even ask me. <laughs> but um, but at least I know that I like cheese and yodeling from that side. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and cheese in Wisconsin is just well, it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty much like, uh, you know, eating. Uh, like what uh, funeral potatoes here? Uh, right. <laughs> we're we're in Utah. That's Google it. <laughs> anyway, um, so but how I got started was um, 
it's kind of naturally. I mean, I just in my family, you were required to do four things. You had to go to school, go to church, be on the swimming team because my dad was a swimming coach. Mm -hmm. And then you had to take piano lessons. And there was no questions asked. I mean, you could complain about it because nobody likes practicing piano. Right. But um, but I would practice the piano, but I would also mess around on the piano. So when I was a little kid, I'd sit down and I'd just kind of mess around. Just I, I don't know what I was doing. I was just kind of like I liked how sounds sounded, you know, mm-hmm. played different chords. I just like how they sound. And then I would take my piano piece, like a Bach piece or something, and I would jig it up, you know, just kind of jazz it up. Mm-hmm. And my piano teacher, rather than getting mad at me, because I'd sometimes say, hey, listen to the, how I do this song. I do it different. She would say, Kurt, that's great. In the recital, I want you to play it two ways. Play it the way it's written and then play it your way. And she would let me do that. And thanks to her, that was kind of one thing. Uh, that I, and my mom also noticed that I was messing around on the piano. And she she said to me one day, and because I, I hated to practice. I just hated it. She said, Kurt, put your music away. I go, oh, yes, I get to quit. No, no, I don't want, you're not going to quit. What I want you to do is I want you to play me a sun, sunrise. That's exactly what she said. And I didn't really know what she meant, you know, um, but she said, yeah, just, just kind of make up something and think of, make it kind of sound like a sunrise. So I did that and it probably sounded terrible. I don't, you know, I, I'm not some little genius Mozart, I'm sure, but, but she just made me feel really great. It was like, oh, Kurt, I could see the sunrise. That was really wonderful. And I think at that moment, that was kind of the seminal moment for my career to start. And, and it, so it was thanks to a real intuitive piano teacher and a, a mother who was also a piano player, but was, was kind of a creative English teacher who would think of outside the box like that. Mm-hmm. She, she knew I wasn't going to be like Josh Wright here uh, at the University of Utah. who's was an amazing classical piano player. But she, she knew that I had this unique thing that she was hearing me do, just ad-libbing stuff. That was the very beginning. And, of course, then, you know, one goes on and things happen along mm-hmm. the way. Um, I'll jump to the first gig I ever got. So I was – I'd written songs in junior high. I wrote a song for a girl in seventh grade, you know, <laughs> just goofy stuff like that. But when I was in uh, junior in high school – I was a trumpet player in the band, Orm High School, and I got a call from the music contractor for the Osmonds. He said, hey, you know, I hear you're pretty good for high school kid. You play good. And I guess the word got out that I read well and I could play well for mm-hmm. my age. He said, our trumpet player um, got sick. We have three trumpets. Only two showed up. Can you come down right now and play trumpet in our recording session? I said, well, I, I'm going to have to skip school. He said, well, whatever it takes. You know, get to, and so I went down. They paid me $40 an hour. It's not bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in those That's, days. It well, was still uh, good nowadays, even now, too, right? Yeah. So I show up. I was afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, like, can I do it? But I stepped up and I did it. And I guess I was in tune and I guess I sounded good because they called me a few more times. And then one day, um, the the direct music director of the show said, "Hey, Kurt, um, you know I hear you can compose music." I said, "Yeah," and he said, "How'd you like to compose a little something for the Donnie and Marie show that we were working on?" I said, "That's the Osmonds, by the mm-hmm. way, Donnie and Marie Osmond." So I said, uh, "Yeah, I can I can do that." I remember what I'm saying. I, mean, I said earlier in the show before we took our break, fear breeds creativity. Right. So I said, "Sure, I can do that." 
Because it meant money, too. They are going to pay me some money. And they said, well, there's this guy. His name's Dick Van Dyke. He's going to come <laughs> in the show, and he has this little – he needs a play on it to, to, to play us out a commercial. So like a 30-second piece. And I stayed up all night long. I mean, I could do that now, like in 20 minutes. It would take – I could do that falling off the log today. Mm-hmm. But that was my first – professional gig. So I stayed up all night and I had to write for trumpets and saxophones and trombones, kind of a big band configuration, rhythm wow. section. Um, and, I, you know, I didn't even know the transpositions. I didn't have a computer to do it. This was pencil and paper. Oh, wow. So yeah. I had to go, now what key, how does it, so I, I'm looking up, <laughs> it's so funny to say, because I mean, I'm not like 90 years old, but I'm old enough to where I couldn't look up on the computer what a transposition for an alto sax was. Right. Today, you'd look it up on the computer. Um, so I had to call somebody on the phone and say, Hey, I'm arranging for alto sax. Uh, yeah, it's, it's up a sixth, you know, and you have this different trans, uh, transposition. Anyway, I showed up the next day. I had copied out the music, handed it all out. They played it, it and it, it sounded great. And I was hooked. I thought this is what I'm going to do. This is it. This is, I want to write music like this. And, uh, it, you know, and so, I mean, I could bore you, bore you for hours with all the stories that got me from there to where I am today. Um, so I'll let you, I'll let you so, ask some questions. <laughs> no, this but, is great. But, but, but anyway, it started with my, just me with my mom and then went to the Osmonds and then it just kept going. And so, I mean, was that the experience there? Was that the one that kind of made you think, hey, I can... I can do this. This is this is what I'm going to do now. Well, it, 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 I knew that I could write music because, like I said, I had written music a, a few things. I knew I could write piano songs. I knew that I could write a little something, you know, for a few instruments because I had messed around with that in high school, my sophomore year, before I started working for the Osmonds. But it, it gave me the it, two things. It said, you can do it. Somebody asked you. You can do it. Secondly, I made some money. And so it, it was kind of like, now it's not like, well, I'm going to go do a hobby. It's like, I actually made more money than all my friends on their paper routes. And, and, and I could see that that was something I could do. I couldn't live a life of writing music for like a television show. It, it, that would lose its luster after a while. Right. So um, really around the same time, I think I'm maybe a senior. So I'd been writing music for the, the Osmonds and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. But I wasn't really sure. I thought, well, I'm going to have to go to LA or whatever. Cause there weren't, you know, the Osmonds came to Utah. So thank goodness that gave me a LA came to me. Right. But, um, I saw the movie Jaws. Jaws came out, mm-hmm. and I, I heard the John Williams score, which, which yeah, which Da-da. is more than two notes, but we know it as bum bum right. bum 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 bum. And I I remember not only being scared by the movie, but saying saying to myself, "That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to write music for movies. I, I I mean, it's fine to write a little thing for Dick Van Dyke. It's fine to do a little thirty second spot for a commercial." I want to write movie music, film music. Mm-hmm. And 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 my eyes kind of opened to film music because I really hadn't thought about it that much before that. So now I had my art blossoming and I saw a trajectory and the trajectory was write music for film. And that's what I where I aimed my eyes and I I met with I remember uh, doing a movie for a kid at BYU called The Magdeburg Affair. It was pretty heady stuff. We actually we didn't have all the synthesizers you have now, so I couldn't mm-hmm. mock it up like an orchestra now. I had to actually ask my friends in the orchestra, "Hey, would you come? I'm going to bring some cookies and drinks. Wow. Would you come and play 
the session and we mm-hmm. hired the studio and, and we had an orchestral score because we didn't couldn't do it with synthesizers, which is kind of cool. And, and so I was off and running. And, and I think that trajectory kept me going for, for quite a while. Um, not not to where I am today, though, however, mm-hmm. and I'll, and that, I'll be I'll be mysterious about that. So, <laughs> so you can ask a question. Well, let's let's go into that. Let's go into what what got you to where you are today. I mean, what what is the experience that you feel project? Uh, pushed you to where you are today. Well, well, I'll tell you, and this is a bit of a lesson as well as it's my history, but it also is going to teach anybody who's following in my footsteps a lesson. Mm-hmm. And that is be be willing to do things out of your determined box. Like I had determined that I was going to be a film composer. So if somebody asked me to write music for ballroom dancing or, or write music for, for the Utah symphony or write or do something, I would probably at that time I would have said, I'm sorry, but I only do film scores. <laughs> I am a film composer. <laughs> and, but luckily, uh, partially cause I need to pay the bills. I started when people would say, Hey, can you write, do this? And I said to my, my brain said, well, no, that's not a film composed, but you, man, they're going to pay you a couple hundred bucks. Why don't you just say yes and make some money? So I did that. And I started, I started doing arrangements for people. Mm-hmm. And I found that, that I had a, an ability that was unique in that area that other people didn't have. Plus there were a lot, this is the, the end of an era in a way uh, where people like me knew how to write for orchestra, knew, knew the transpositions, knew all that music theory stuff. Right. And we we're getting into a time because of synthesizers and computers where a lot of young composers at the time, they, they didn't want to, I don't need to mess with learning about that. I can just, play the synthesizer. I can play the strings right here. Look, strings. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people kind of didn't do what I did. So I was becoming valuable in that regard. And, um, and I found that, that being kind of a musical chameleon was a good thing. It wasn't a bad thing, especially at that stage of my career, Mm -hmm. because who knows where I was going to be when I was in my fifties. But now I realize how valuable it was. I mentioned ballroom dance music, for example. Um, I'm not, really fond of dancing ballroom dance, but I love writing the challenge of writing music. So I have for 25, almost 30 years written music for world championship ballroom dance teams. And, and I have to, in order to do that, I have to know how to write a waltz, a tango. I have to know all these rhythms. Mm -hmm. Then of course I, the, the standard medleys are usually orchestral pieces. So I have to know how to write for an orchestra. Then the Latin medleys, I have to know how to, to write for a rhythm section and, you know, I have to know how to surdo or a, or a timbale or all these different things. So I had to really fill my data bank with all kinds of material. And that flexibility is what I'm, I'm saying to anybody who wants to do what, what we do with their art. Don't, don't say you, you don't do things. Um, I mean, there are a few things I don't want to do, and maybe I won't. But for the most part, I like the challenge. And I like the challenge of writing something, trying mm-hmm. something brand new, and, um, which is probably why I can cover a wide range of musical styles. And so on that note, what... What is the thing that, or, or is there one thing that you wish that you had known that before you started on this path? Um, I guess I'm kind of dumb enough to to have not thought too deeply about that stuff. <laughs> I mean, I just jumped in. I a lot of people when they start out in in any kind of uh, artistic endeavor, they 
they want to plan it all out. They go, okay, I'm going to go to art school and then Mm. I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do, and then I'm going to get business cards. Then I'm going to get a manager. Then I'm going to get an agent rather than just, just get in and just do it. It's a, don't, don't try to Mm. think through it so much. Don't plan everything. Mm. If you're a cinematographer and you you know, good grief, you know, we, we have phones now we can just, we can do a, like a little movie with a phone and just to Mm. practice, just to practice things. Um, you don't have to wait until, well, I'm going to wait till I get enough money and then I'm going to buy a really nice camera and then I'm going to get all these computer things and do that. It's like, just jump in, just jump in. So I, I, well, like I said, I was kind of dumb enough that I didn't really plan things out, but I was a good opportunist. And I think there's, there is luck in life. There's luck in artistic life. How did you get the music for the Olympics? How, how did you get music for this? Everything kind of I got lucky, little lucky things, but I, I I took I took those opportunities. Right, and you made connections along the way. I made connections. Right? Yeah, that's a big thing, especially now these days. I'm networking in in the arts. At a certain point, you're going to find anybody in the arts is going to find that if you're up for a gig, if you're up for a painting commission or a film project or a who knows what, you're going to be up against ten, let's say, ten other people, all who are equally talented. Mm. If you're if at a certain point. So who do they want to work with? Here's something I wish I would have been told. Um, what makes the difference is talent is a given. Mm-hmm. Who's on time? Who's pleasant to work with? Right. You know, I mean, there are people out there. I won't name names, but there are people that I work with who are talented, but they are so obnoxious to work with that I just don't want, I just don't want to do it. It's not fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can you do it on budget? You know, so are just all those little personal things, things that have nothing to do with your art. An artist tend to be a little egotistical. It's like, oh, I can't believe you want me to change that note. That note came down from heaven. And, you know, it's like, you know, I, I just at a certain point, you know, you just say, um, you know what? I can lots of ways to skin a cat. I'll do it your way. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm if I feel really strongly about something, I won't acquiesce. But I do. I do think it's the it's the people skills. It's the communication is another thing. Mm-hmm. It's when you're talking art. This is a this is a funny thing. So I'll never forget. I did a movie score, and the director, Kurt. I just want to tell you one thing. You know, um, I I really like your music, but um, I'm going to tell you right now. I don't like uh, clarinets. I just don't like that sound. I don't want to hear any clarinets in my 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 thing, my music. So. Which is a weird thing to right. hear somebody say. So, uh, fair enough. You know, I wasn't going to do a polka or something. I wasn't going to take a clarinet and do some <laughs> cheesy sound. But, but I like the color in an orchestra of a clarinet. It's very you won't hear it. But so anyway. But it does um, add something. It does add something. And he he was just kind of he was just trying to be. Film music is weird because the directors. They ha- they know usually know what they're doing when it comes to lighting and and, mm-hmm. and s- s- dialogue and they they know but when it gets to the music they don't know they're like mm-hmm. they 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 hand you their little baby they've been working on for maybe years mm-hmm. and they get done filming and then they hand it to you the composer and they go take this up to the mountain and come back with with great music for my baby right. and they're afraid they're scared so they they always want to jump in and say things anyway this guy said that. And then he he really liked this this John Williams piece, and he he had used it as a temp track. So he he said, "Why don't you use this John Williams piece as a reference?" And I'm thinking to myself, "It's got clarinet all over it." <laughs> so I didn't write for clarinet, 
um, because he asked me not to, but I couldn't get the sound he wanted without putting clarinet in. Right. Anyway, I, I jumped all around, and I. So my lesson here is communicating in in art is difficult. It's very mm-hmm. difficult. How do you explain something to a person? How do that, you quantify feelings and emotions yeah. to people? Right. Yeah. How do you tell people what you want in an art that they don't understand? Right. And so I always tell my clients and people. Use language like um, you want something kind of fuzzy. You want, you know, don't try to talk to me in music. You don't know Mm -hmm. music, but you know feelings. So, so how do you want that people to feel when they hear the music? How do you want, and, and they all, they might use words that they're kind of weird. Well, I, I want time to, I want time to stop. I want to feel like I can't breathe. I want all those things. If you tell those to me, I can, I can translate that in the music. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's something that I say when you're working with clients, don't say, don't worry. You don't have to talk cinematography. You don't have to talk. Just tell me how you want to feel. Cause everybody mm-hmm. knows how to feel. Right. We all feel. And, and art is about feeling at least mm-hmm. the kind of art that I do. Mm-hmm. Wow. We got going on a tangent there, but that was kind of hey, fun. It was a great tangent. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think it was super amazing and helpful. Well, I mean, what, what advice would you give to someone that's, you know, just starting out and they, they want to be a composer or, or arrange uh, music? What, what advice would you give to them? Um, well, I would say, I would say this, I would say um, there really are no shortcuts. Don't, you know, if you're, 21 years old and and you've got good music talent you were the best kid in your high school and but now you're competing in a world where with a bunch of other people who are the best kids in their high school um you can't you got to get that craft part you have to dive in and get that craft if you're a singer for example don't think that well if i could get a record contract oh if i could meet a somebody a famous producer rick rubens or somebody like that then then i know you can't, you got to get your craft. So take your guitar, sit down in a coffee shop, offer to play for, you know, hot chocolate and donuts and just play, just play that, that get that muscle, get that musical muscle going. And, 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 and you will be ready when the record company eventually comes, but you can't, a lot of people think, well, I got to get my, my business card and I got to get my name for my company. Whatever. Just, you know, just get out there and do what you're going to do and then look for those opportunities, because if you're good enough, suddenly the opportunities will they'll they'll come. So what's next for you? I know you have a uh, a Christmas concert coming up. I do. Yes. Uh, we're we're taping this in uh, close to the month of December. Um I know it's a podcast, so people can listen who right. knows, for as long as they yeah. want. But, um, yeah, I do. Uh, this is my 35th year of doing Christmas concerts, These are those arrangements we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm doing a bunch of arranging right now. Just uh, did arranged box Ave Maria yesterday. And um, today i got to work on another piece to get ready for my Christmas show. And um, I'm um, – it's weird. This is – I, I – Right now, after January, I've got a. Um, I'm going to do a an album for a client in January and February, and then I'm then I guess I don't have any work. And then that's, you got to find it, right? Then you got to find it, and and it will come. There's a lot of people knocking on my door, but that's the scary part, and it's not very comfortable, you know, when you work for yourself. Um, my wife kind of wishes that I had a nine to five once in a while, but. 
it's it's you know the reward is worth it. The reward to to be passionate about your art, to have spent the time, years and years and years honing your craft, um, so that you can create what's in your heart to create. Um, there's really nothing for me better. Okay, well, thank you for that. I th- I think that's some great advice. This has been another episode of the Path of Art with Kurt Bester. Uh, this was just such a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much well, for coming you. on the show. Good luck to everybody who wants to follow their passion. I'll be watching and cheering from the sidelines. All right, and we'll catch you all next time. Thank you for listening to The Path of Art. If you or someone you know is creative and would like to tell your story, reach out to me at rmeeks at ksl.com. I might feature you on the show. If you liked our conversation, please make sure you follow the show and give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help people to discover the show. Also, make sure you follow The Path of Art podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time.